What if you thought everyone around you believed one thing, but it turned out they didn't think that at all? Example, women's rights in countries that traditionally don't support them. Across the world, we find very, very strong support for this like notion of basic rights, that women should be allowed to work outside the home. Perhaps this is less surprising in countries that are known for having higher levels of gender equality, but we see this across the board. Welcome to The Pie. I'm your host, Tess Viglund. Economists are always talking about the pie, how it grows and shrinks, how it's sliced, who gets the biggest share. In this show, we're talking about the most pressing matters of the day, seen through the lens of economics. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute. And in this episode, we're exploring how we can all get so much wrong because we assume we know what those around us are thinking. Here, we're looking at it in the context of how people see women's right to participate in the workforce, especially in countries that aren't, shall we say, particularly friendly to that idea. Leonardo Burstein is the SIA Family Professor of Economics at UChicago and co-director of BFI's Political Economics Research Initiative. He's been studying the phenomenon of how our perceptions of what those around us think can influence our own beliefs, even if we're wrong about those perceptions. Leonardo Burstein, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk today about a global study on how gender norms, especially around women in the workplace, are misperceived. But I want to start with a more specific study that led to this one. Uh, You looked into what men in Saudi Arabia think about women working outside the home and found that the sort of preconceived notions that men would be against it were somewhat wrong. Tell us a little bit about that study first. I have been interested in understanding social norms and how they impact economic behavior for a while. And in particular, at some point, my co-authors and I decided to get point to this idea of how societies might be stuck in an equilibrium with uh, misperceptions, with incorrect perceptions about how other people think about specific issues. And the idea being that if I think that most people disagree with my opinion and I think that there will be strong stigma or social costs associated with expressing my opinion, I might not express it. Right. Uh, you know, and people might not learn that, I, in fact, I'm in favor of it. And likewise, I might learn that they, they are in favor of it. They're supportive of it. This is called pluralistic ignorance. It's an older concept from social psychology. And we decided like, oh, how interesting would, would it be if, in fact, in a country where we expect men to have very like conservative views about the role of women in society, what if, in fact, in that country, uh, men are actually secretly or privately progressive, but, you know, they think other people aren't and they, for they act as if they weren't, right? And if that were the case, uh, then we could potentially just start changing societal equilibria by just providing people with information, correcting these misperceptions, right? So that's kind of like how we started getting interested in understanding this issue and there was an opportunity to do it in Saudi Arabia. So we went for it. And in fact, as you described, we find across different experiments and surveys that the vast majority of young Saudi males are actually uh, supportive of women working outside the home, but they think that the vast majority of other men are against it. Even when you ask about people that they know, like their own neighbors, people from their same social circle. So they have these strong misperceptions. So with that, we decided to actually 
see what happens when you correct this misperception. Right. So you start telling men that their peers feel that women should be allowed to do something, maybe even encouraged to do something. What effect does that have? So we ran a first experiment where we corrected misperceptions about people's neighbors. And we find that uh, these men are much more likely to support their wife going to the labor market to get a job outside of the home. The way we measured this by, is by giving these men the opportunity, this is in an experimental setting, to sign up the wife for a mobile app that would help them actually get a job. And we see that there's a substantial increase in the take-up for this app for men who are provided with this information or who have their misperceptions corrected, right? And we also see that suggestive evidence that a few months down the road, the wives of these men are more likely to have applied for jobs outside of home, interviewed for jobs, and so on. But we also try a different type of experiment, which is give the information to the women themselves, right? Empower them with this information. All of a sudden, you have a population that you thought didn't want you to go to workforce and actively discouraged you from doing it. And, well, maybe that's not the case. Exactly. So what we did is that we teamed up with a, a survey company that had a database of women who were interested in doing a, a job, a temporary job, a one-day job, in fact, as a surveyor, interviewing uh, people from home. And then what we did is like we offered together with this company the opportunity to take on a job like this. And then at some point, they were offered the chance to switch to the same job but outside of home, like in shopping malls, but with a much higher pay, about 25% higher pay. And so that would be a potentially a more appealing job, but it's outside of the home. And what we did is that in that experiment, half of the women were, were provided with the information that in fact, most men in Saudi Arabia, because we also collected national surveys, representative, more representative surveys, that actually most men are supportive of women working outside of home. And what we see is that we increase substantially, almost doubles the take up of the job that is outside of the home that actually pays more. So it's a bit of a policy proof of concept, so if you will. It's like, how would you go about designing policy uh, with this type of information? We left out excited about this project and curious as well. Did we just stumble upon one country where this happens or or not? Right. So then you set out to see how this applied to a, a raft of other countries, and, and you expanded it also to questions about affirmative action for women in the workplace. Um, so let's go through that. First, how did you choose which countries to study? Because you have an enormous range here culturally politically, socially, religiously, 60 countries with significantly differing degrees of acceptance of women in the workplace. So, so how do you choose those countries? It's a good question. So this was an opportunity that came to us by um, a group of researchers from Norway, from Bergen, who had uh, established a partnership with Gallup that allowed us to add a completely new module to their Gallup Global Survey. And when was this from? So this survey was conducted between September 2020 and February 2021, so very recently. Okay, okay. So it was, it was that survey that had the 60 countries? Correct, yes. So Gallup has their own process of collecting the surveys across countries and its state-of-the-art methods in terms of surveying and sampling. So they gave us, basically, we were we followed the list of countries that they typically go for. This is 60 countries. As you mentioned, I think what's very cool about this is that these countries, 
you know, go through the whole spectrum, for example, of gender equality. So it really allows us to have like a really global perspective. In fact, if you adapt the population of all these countries, they amount to about 85% of the world population and 90% of the world GDP. So this is like, this is a massive sample of like uh, of different countries. And, and this is representative samples collected at the country level. So at the end of the day, we have over 66,000 observations. So it's a very large data set. Yeah, that, that is a lot. Um... So what were the primary questions that you were looking at from this survey? Yeah, so one thing we were interested in was to kind of understand to what extent these findings in Saudi Arabia was generalizable or common or unique to the setting. So one of the questions we're interested in was this similar question of whether women should be allowed to work outside the home. And then we also asked another question we thought could be relevant in different countries, in countries perhaps with a higher level of of gender equality uh, in labor markets, which was support for affirmative action for women, namely whether women should be given priority for leadership positions in both public and private sectors, right? So we started with those, and first we collect people's support for these uh, policies, which we will call norms, which is like societal attitudes towards specific policies associated with gender, right? And then, which is I think what we're most interested in, we ask for the perceptions about the support level of both men and women in their country, right? So how do people think about these issues, these policies, and how do they, what they think other people think, right? And are there misperceptions? So let's break that down. Um, and let's first talk about that first question, which is about just generally a, a woman's right to work. What kind of support for that did you find? Was it universal across countries? Yes. So first thing that we document here is that across the world, we find very, very strong support for this like notion of basic rights that women should be allowed to work outside the home. Perhaps this is less surprising in countries that are known for having higher levels of gender equality, uh, but we see this across the board. So what we found in Saudi Arabia, which is considered a very traditional conservative country in terms of uh, gender norms, we found there the most men, the vast majority of men were supportive of women working outside of home. We do find this across the board. Uh, every single country that we study, we find that the majority of people are supportive of that. And even when you zoom into the opinions of men, the majority of men are supportive across the board. Uh, and women, of course, are also very supportive of that. So we find that, yes, there is overwhelming support for women working outside of home. On the norm aspect of it? Norms, yes. Okay. Then what about perceptions about that norm? Was there any difference there? Yes. So similarly to Saudi Arabia, while most people are supportive of this policy, uh, there are substantial misperceptions. It's in the direction of underestimating true support for this policy. Hmm. So, uh, as we found before in Saudi Arabia, here across the board in all countries, people underestimate the extent to which other people support, and particularly they underst underestimate support by men. So men are more misunderstood than women for, for this policy issue because their support is more underestimated. And what about affirmative action then? Uh, that, that would seem to be kind of a second step, right, after allowing women to work. So what kind of findings did you see in those countries that did not support that and then in countries that do, like the United States? Exactly. So 
you're absolutely right in the way you frame it, right? Because we wanted to capture some notion, really basic rights, with women, whether women should be allowed to work outside of home. But we also wanted to capture some policy angle, some policy debate that might be more relevant in other countries that have already moved a little bit more forward, uh, have progressed more in the gender equality scale, right? So we decided to go for uh, affirmative action, whether women should be given priority in leadership positions. And the picture there is more nuanced. So what we find is that there is a, quite a bit of variation in the support for affirmative actions across country. What was particularly interesting and perhaps surprising is that the level of support for this type of policy goes down as you move along the gender equality scale, meaning that in countries with uh, lower levels of gender equality, there's substantial support, overwhelming support for affirmative actions for women. But as you progress, you become, in terms of the gender equality scale, the level of support goes down. It is still higher among women than among men generally, but you see it going down. And in fact, uh, when you look at, say, countries with the highest, perhaps the third, one third of the countries, the highest levels of uh, gender equality, you'll start seeing that the majority of people is against affirmative action for women. I find that really interesting because, you know, it. I suppose in one way it's almost intuitive that once you start getting equal rights, then you don't want so-called special rights. You want to be able to prove that you're doing it on your own. But if you're in a country where there are no equal rights, where you are not allowed to work, then almost anything is is on the plate, right? Exactly. Absolutely. That's a very, very good interpretation. I mean, it makes sense. There's intuitively, you could, you could say, well, in a country with higher levels of uh, gender equality, perhaps there, there might be less need for this type of policy, right? Uh, and at the same time, again, there's evidence from other settings where the, the group that will be the beneficiary benefiting from affirmative action might, to some extent, be against it because of that. It might dilute the value of your accomplishment and by stigmatize, might create uh, stereotypes, reinforce them and so on. We don't have direct evidence of that, so we can only discuss potential explanations, but they're consistent with the findings. And was there a difference between men and women in how much they supported affirmative action for Uh, women? On average, women support more than men throughout the distribution, but we see both from men and women the support going down. Well, so then I want to ask about a a separate, I think, tandem study that you conducted outside of the Gallup survey results. And this was to measure support for affirmative action specifically here in the United States and how perceptions at the national level about that issue influence views at the state and local level. What was the question you were trying to answer there? When we had this evidence at the national level, for these 60 countries. Exactly. Globally, you have these perceptions about how the country as a whole think about this, right? What the norm is. Yes. And while this could be very interesting, a question that I think it's a fair question is like, so what? Does it matter for anything? <laughs> I mean, right. how many times does it matter uh, what you think about the country as a whole when you're making decisions? So, and I think it's a fair question. And... You know, in the paper in Saudi Arabia, we showed in that setting that when you tell women who are interested in a specific job how men in the country as a whole think about this, that changes their, their decision. So in that setting, it seems to matter. But we cannot make that point for every country, right? 
something that we decided to do, which I think I think it's pretty interesting, is uh, it is clear across variety of studies in different settings that even though it's it's not established that for many decisions uh, your perceptions about how the country as a whole thinks is necessarily important, for sure local peers matter. The people you live with. Yeah, and locally at, at your city level, state level, the more disaggregated, the more local it gets, the more relevant it gets because that's, you know, that's your peer group, that's your reference group, the people you care about. So what we try to show is like, do misperceptions at the national level map into misperceptions at the local level? And in addition to that, when you correct this misperception at the national level, does that casually move perceptions at the local level? Because if that's the case, then we were basically establishing that, yes, you were measuring that national level misperceptions, but they matter when people are forming their perceptions at the local level. So basically, we ran the separate study in the U.S. where we, zoomed, we did a study in a large state in Texas where we showed that people there really have misperceptions about support for affirmative action at the national level, mirroring what we found in Gallup. And again, just to be very clear, this is affirmative action for women. For women, yes, yes, yes. And then uh, we also showed that these misperceptions at the national level correlate strongly with misperceptions at the state level, which it's already providing some suggestive evidence that they matter, that these things move together. But then more importantly, we randomly corrected these misperceptions at the national level for half of the subjects of the participants. And we then, for these people, we measure uh, their perceptions at the state level or at the coworker level. It's like, what do you think your coworkers think, right? And we see that when you change their perceptions at the national level, something happens in their heads which leads them to update their perceptions at the state level and at the very local coworker level, which indicates that uh, these Views at the national level are, at the very least, an input that people use to form their perceptions at the local level, which therefore, therefore establishes, in a way, that they're actually pretty relevant. So, Leo, what does all this mean for gender equality efforts? Is the most basic takeaway here that there is much stronger support for women in the workplace than people think there is globally? It's a very good question. I think there are a few lessons, right? So... More and more economists and uh, social scientists in general have been emphasizing the importance of norms in explaining gender gaps, right, in labor markets, for example. And there is some evidence, right, that changing norms themselves, right, meaning people's true attitudes, how they think about specific policies or issues, while it's possible, while it is possible, it is actually also pretty difficult, right? It takes time. Many of these attitudes are very slow moving over time. And, and there's evidence, for example, some very, very nice recent work. Like, yeah, you could do some long interventions, perhaps in, with adolescents when they're in school and really trying to reshape attitudes. And it's possible, but it's, it's difficult. It takes time and it's costly, right? Now, there is a growing literature uh, looking at the role of perceptions about norms and the extent to which they might be off. And if perceptions are off, then you have the potential for changing behavior through simple information provisions, right? Just by saying, hey, this is how people actually think about this. So it's not like you need to change people's opinions. People's opinions, they have already moved, you know, for example, for uh, basic rights. But perhaps 
it's you all you need to do is to change people's perceptions about the opinions of others so they don't feel like they will be alone in this cause or they face social consequences and so on so for basic rights the picture is 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 pretty clear which is yes societies are more progressive than they they think they are themselves and potentially giving information empowering people with information can lead to uh, reductions to gender gap so it's a positive message but when you look at affirmative action, the message is a bit more nuanced, right? Which is in less gender equal countries, the support is underestimated. So again, there's potential for moving societies by providing information. And that's, that's nice. But for countries that have achieved a higher level of gender equality, in fact, if anything, support is overestimated, right? Support by women. So then you have to consider, you know, that if you really provide information, uh, people would update downward the perception about the support by women. So I know you just kind of touched on this and you talked a little bit about, you know, intervention in childhood and that sort of thing. But when you look at these findings, I guess my question really is, how do you start to correct these perceived norms, these misperceived norms? What, what does that look like? I mean, it's a philosophical question, right? How, how do you change erroneous stereotypes? It's a really big ask. Yes, I mean, in Saudi Arabia, we did this, this, as I said, proof of concept policy exercises, right? Where we asked the company that was recruiting potential female employees to give this information, right? I don't think it's necessarily doable for every company to do it, but I think there are things like, for example, collecting and disseminating the results of opinion polls, right? Governments can take a lead there to have campaign, informational campaigns. There's a discussion on how to do this, but I think it is doable. Like if the governments take a stand or both locally and nationally, if there are organizations that could also provide this type of information, I think it's about really disseminating information, getting people to know, right? A lot of the data for many topics uh, are out there. And perhaps there's a need or there'll be benefit from having some sort of platform where people can access uh, data about a percent, what others around them think. People systematically misunderstand other people. They have strong misperceptions, even for topics for which there's data out there. The interesting question is what will happen if you correct these misperceptions, right? Uh, it is possible that in some settings, people might have pretty rigid beliefs perhaps based on stereotypes, on identity considerations. I want to think that that group is like that. I don't like that group. So you tell me something good about that group, I'm not going to believe you. Or I'll conveniently forget. That's possible, right? So or it could be that in some other cases, people just retain the information and they move on. So if there's a credible platform to provide this information from a credible party, credible source, I think there's potential for change. I think it's at least it's worth discussing it. Well, certainly, if we corrected a lot of misperceptions in the world, it would be a better, more peaceful place, I would think. I think there's definitely uh, the case to be made for that. too. Leo, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. The Pi is a production of the Becker Friedman Institute for Economics at the University of Chicago. If you'd like to keep in touch with the latest economic research from the University of Chicago, you can visit bfi.uchicago.edu slash subscribe. And you can sign up for our newsletter there as well. And of course, you can subscribe to The Pi on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Our theme music was composed by Story Mechanics, production assistance from the BFI communications team. I'm Tess Vigland, your host and executive producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.